Good morning, Grace Life Church. If I have not had the pleasure of meeting you, my name is Tommy Clayton, lead pastor here at Grace Life Church, and Merry Christmas. And let me just extend a, uh, an invitation to you. We are, I know some churches have different schedules going on this week, some do a Christmas Eve, some do a Christmas morning. As you know, Christmas falls on a Sunday morning this year. I'm really not sure how the schedule, if it happens every seven years or six years, somebody can educate me afterwards. Uh, I can't remember it happening before, but I, I, this year is going to be memorable because we're going to have a Christmas service here next Sunday. Uh, it's going to be a short service. It's going to start at 10 a.m. It's going to be, uh, we call it a family service, and that by no means does that mean uh, if you're single or unmarried or feel like you have no family. What is meant by that is we don't have child care. If you, you, know, you have children, you can bring them in here with you, and it'll be fine. It'll be like a fifth Sunday, except we're going to be inside, and uh, the message will be shorter. I just uh, Our leadership, we prayed about this, we talked about this, and we wanted to, to have a Christmas service because, as Mike said, Christmas is about Christ. It's about Jesus. And uh, so I know many people have family traditions, and just trusting the Lord to give you wisdom and all that, if, if it's something you can... Do we, we definitely would love to have you here and worship with us. Well, I'm going to pray, and then uh, we're going to jump into Isaiah 35 here. I, I bet you have not heard that passage read before or connected with Christmas. We're going to do our best to show you that today, so let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. Thank you for all the truth, the, the good news about Jesus' birth and life, and sacrifice, and resurrection, we have already heard, Lord, through the prayers, through the songs, through the welcome, truth has been communicated to our hearts, we need it, Lord, we need it, Christmas is, uh, for some people, a very lonely and wearisome time, God, and many of those people may have found themselves uh, in this building today, or online, watching the live stream, I pray that you would bring healing and hope and rescue to them, that these promises would become alive and powerful in their heart, Lord. You would unleash your truth today. Uh, you would use me. I am a flawed man. I am a weak servant, Lord. I feel my weakness, my humanity today. Pray that you would empower me and fill me, Lord, with, with your Holy Spirit to just be able to preach this message today. In Jesus' almighty name we pray, amen. Well, I like art. I actually love art. Um, I wish I was an artist. <laughs> I guess I put words together, uh, you know, on a page instead of colors and paint and all that. Uh, my favorite kind of art involves scenes from biblical and redemptive history. Those are my favorite, especially when I'm preaching on a passage that's a narrative. I'm always looking for the artwork that goes with it. It just, I feel inspired by that. I feel helped by that. I love to see biblical and redemptive history through the eyes of people that lived hundreds of years earlier. It's always interesting. Well, there is a German artist whose name, and I'm going to butcher this, that's okay. His name is Albrecht Altdorfer. Yeah, say that ten times. Uh, Albrecht Altdorfer, and he was weird, <laughs> okay? He was, he was gifted, he was definitely gifted, but he was kind of weird. He was a strange artist. Uh, in fact, he was the founder of landscape art. He was the Bob Ross of his day, okay? He was the German Bob Ross, uh, except this guy did not do uh, happy trees and happy clouds and, and stuff like that. He had kind of a darker side to, to his art. He would often paint dark landscapes with swirling black storm clouds, just this ominous sense of doom. Um, and he painted things out of proportion, out of scale for effect. He was known to do that. 
And sometimes, check this out, man, sometimes when he did biblical scenes, he got really creative, and he would put things in there that you just don't find in the biblical story. For example, he painted a famous picture of the crucifixion, and it was by this enormous river, uh, which was not there, where Jesus was crucified, wasn't a river anywhere there. But he painted it that way, and, and in fact, sometimes people think he kind of injected his own culture, his own story into his paintings. Um, he got really creative, and, and you can see that here. If you, I hope you can see that. I hope it's big enough. This is called the uh, nativity scene painting, um, but it looks different from any nativity painting artwork I've ever seen. Does it to you? just looks different. doesn't look like, uh, you know, the little stable in, in Bethlehem where Jesus was born. And Altdorfer's version, although there is some light that's emanating from the manger, you can see it there. Yeah, that's a better picture. Although there was some light that was coming up from the manger, there's looming darkness all around that threatens to swallow it up. And what little shelter this family had appears to be in a crumbling building. I mean, I don't remember a crumbling building in the nativity story, do you? I don't. Um, it looks as if at any moment the whole thing might come crashing down. It's kind of precarious. It's unsafe. It's dark. And there's this house slash stable. You can see a, a cow in the background. It appears to be some, some sort of a stable. Um, but it's in ruins. It's a broken and crumbled brick wall. They're tottering over baby Jesus. Perhaps it's the, re the result of extreme neglect or maybe war. It almost looks like this is a little village that was bombed. Uh, this was painted in 1511. I don't know what was going on in Germany in 1511. This is before the Reformation. So who knows what was going on in that guy's life, but it's, it looks anything but safe and welcoming. You have to look really hard to see Mary and Joseph. He's holding a candle in one hand and protecting from the, from the nighttime breeze. Um, Mary's kneeling on the ground. She's looking adoringly in the face of this child. It's, it's weird. It's creative. And here's what's really interesting about this. How many of you have heard the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Okay, he was a pastor, theologian in the same country, Germany, a few hundred years, 400 years later. And he took inspiration from this painting when he was in prison during Advent. Actually, for two Christmases in a row, he was in a prison cell. He was awaiting his trial. He was arrested for suspicion of treason against Hitler in the Third Reich. He was one of the only pastors and theologians who were already established and ordained in Germany that stood against Hitler. He followed Jesus when the whole world, it seems, was following Hitler, and he was put in jail for that. Um, and it was a really rough, hard time for him. And he, he wrote letters that had been preserved. He wrote, to his, uh, he wrote to his mother and his father. He wasn't sure if those letters would make it to them. But he told them of his... Uh, his hope to get out and celebrate Christmas with them was, was really grim and, and, and ominous. He didn't think he would be let out in time, and in fact, he wasn't. He was never really... The only time he was released, really, was uh, to go walk up to the gallows and be hung for, uh, for, for what they said was treason. So he said he would hum Christmas carols to himself. His prison cell and Altdorfer's painting kind of remind us that God comes in the person of Christ, and he comes crashing into our world uh, into the world that is, not the world that, you know, is painted in some of those Hallmark movies and cards that you mentioned, Mike. Um, let me read a little portion of a letter he wrote to his parents. This is what he said. He said, a prison cell like this is a good analogy for Advent. One waits, hopes, does this or that, ultimately negligible things, 
He means negligible in the sense that you're not going to get yourself out no matter what you do. You can pace the six by nine cell all you want. It's not going to matter. He says the door is locked and can only be opened from the outside. And then he said this. He said, Altdorfer's nativity painting, this, this painting right here. He said, it's very appropriate this year, showing the holy family and crib among the ruins of a tumble-down house. He says, however did he come to paint like that against all tradition 400 years ago? Perhaps he meant that Christmas could and should be kept even in such conditions. In any case, that is his message for us. That's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. There's a picture of him. I should have put that quote up uh, a little bit earlier. That's what he said about Christmas. Maybe the message from this painting that was kind of written into it in 1511 is a good reminder for us because Christmas is not the most wonderful time of the year for everybody, is it? It's not. It's not, it's not so very merry for some people. And Jesus comes crashing into our, the world that is, not the world that people want it to be with the bright lights and the Hallmark cards and the festivities. Christmas is a time for many people that they feel like they're in a prison cell. They're waiting. They're waiting. In fact, this is, I have two points in this message today. I think it would be a shorter sermon. We'll see. I always think that, and sometimes it never happens. Uh, but two points instead of three today. One, waiting on Christmas, and that's kind of a double entendre. We're waiting on Christmas to come, right? But even when Christmas does come, we still feel like in some sense we're waiting. In, in, in some kind of a secular prison, we're waiting on full redemption to happen. So two points. Waiting on Christmas. One, waiting in the ruins waiting in the ruins, and two, looking for deliverance. And you heard, if you were listening carefully, both of those ideas, those themes, those truths were pointed out in Isaiah chapter 35, uh, just the first few verses. In fact, I'll reread just the first couple of verses. We are waiting in the ruins, waiting in the ruins. Verse 1, chapter 35, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus, or the crocus, I don't really know how you say that desert flower, um, but hope comes to us in a wilderness place, in a place of, of death, in a place where there's no life, in a place really of ruin, just like the painting up there. Christmas sometimes can feel like that to a lot of people. Now, I want to tell you something if you're, if you're listening to me this morning, and if you're watching from home, I'm going to tell you something that's true of every single person in this building and watching from home. Are you ready? I'm going to be prophetic today a little bit, okay? I guarantee you, every person in here is waiting on something. Guarantee you. And if you're waiting on it, it hasn't fully happened yet, right? Everybody in here is waiting on something. You are. Maybe you're just waiting for the sermon to end. Maybe that's as far as you get. I don't know. But people are waiting. Maybe you're waiting for a chronic health issue to get sorted out. Maybe you're waiting on a relationship that's just in constant chaos and conflict to be mended. Maybe you're waiting on a stubborn depression or sadness to lift. Maybe you're waiting on uh, a broken heart to heal. Maybe you're, maybe you're waiting to meet that special someone. Um, you know, one of the things I get to do as a pastor is I get to do a lot of, a lot of counseling, and I'm thankful for that. that seriously, that's one of the, the most precious gifts that God gives me. Because it's one thing if you're in your study reading a passage and you think you're going to apply that to people in 2022. It's another thing when you start meeting with people sitting across a table or an office desk from them and you're hearing like, hey, this is where I'm at, Pastor. This is what I'm going through. Oh my goodness, that's tremendously helpful. 
because when I show up on Sunday, I'm not imagining, will this hit people where they're at? I'm, I'm knowing that it will because I'm hearing the struggles that people have. In fact, just this last month, just this last month, um, I met with Christians, probably five, six, seven Christians, uh, and I want to tell you the things that I heard from them without violating anybody's confidentiality. It's, it's vague enough. It's generic enough. The last thing I want is for you to think, come to your pastor for counseling, and he's going to spill the tea from the pulpit, right? Nobody needs that. Nobody wants that. Um, here's just some of the things that I've heard, because for some people, Christmas marks the end uh, of a weary and a joyless year. Uh, it's a time of agonizing, waiting, chronic sickness, a lot of other stuff. Here's the things that I've heard. From Christians sitting across from me, I'm sick, I'm weary, I'm confused, I'm lonely, I'm angry, I'm devastated, I'm depressed, I'm anxious. That's in the last month. Every single one of those people uh, were Christians. Many of them committed, loyal, faithful Christians. Not all of them go to this church. Um, And for whatever reason, you know, they... Through God's providence, they found our church, our office, and was able to connect and got to sit down and and meet with them. Um, So as you think about Christmas, and as I'm thinking about preaching as a pastor, I'm thinking about these are the kinds of people, these are the struggles, and and look, and just to kind of open the book of the way I think, if five, six, seven people share that with me, the people that I actually met with, how many other people are feeling that way and thinking that way, right? That's where people are living. They're sad. They feel lonely. I mean, we're not fully delivered yet, right? That's point one. God's good news, God's hope comes to us in ruins. So often it's in ruins. We're in the wilderness. We're in the dry place. We're in the desert. Things look hopeless. Things look dead. Things look lifeless. And that's the the very place that God sends his promise. I mean, Jesus came to a very dark and broken world, didn't he? He did. That's what Christmas is about. Some of us are, are waiting on Christmas and to some people, it feels like torment. Maybe, maybe you're waiting on Christmas. feels like me when I was a kid. I uh, had an older brother, and, and often, as brothers do, we fought. And uh, back, back then, we had a telephone that was mounted on the wall. You guys remember this in the... One of those. And had a receiver you could just really easily, with your hand, just reach up and hang up on yourself or on somebody else. We had like a 10-foot cord on that thing, and... and you know, I had two siblings, and often we would call that special someone in our life, and we would stretch that cord and go into the living room and, and hunker down, and we would have privacy. But the receiver was around the wall, and if you got angry or got in an argument, and you were wanting the phone and they wouldn't give it to you, click, you could just hang up on somebody. Well, one of those days, my brother and I had a little tussle, and he was on the phone with his girlfriend, and I needed it for whatever reason. And I said, you know what? I'm sick of this, bro. I'm sick of this. Click. And I hung up, and man, off we went. See, my brother was older than me. He was bigger than me. He was faster than me. He was stronger than me. And off we went, chasing each other. And we had like a little circuitous, there was the kitchen, the living room, two open doors, and we would go around and around. And I'm telling you, man, I, I, I made up for, for the disadvantage I have. I would throw stuff in his path. You guys ever do that? I'm running. I'm hearing him. He's saying things to me about what he's going to do when he catches me. And as I'm running, I'm like flicking chairs over and objects in his path, and I'm hearing him stumble. I'm thinking, ha, ha. And then I run out the door. We lived on a, on a farm, a farm spread. And uh, here's the thing. My brother was faster, but I had more endurance. So I would just take off into the 40-acre field, and I knew my brother would eventually get tired, and he would wear out. And here's what he would say. He would say, hey, bro, you got to come back sometime, buddy. 
you got to come back sometime. And I would think, I did it. I beat him. And then I started thinking, what now? Because <laughs> you got to go back sometime. You're waiting. In fact, I did eventually go back and check this out. My brother encountered me, and somebody took a picture of it. Somebody actually took a picture of when my brother met me at the gate. You want to see it? I got that picture right here. Here it is. <laughs> so anyway, maybe, maybe some of you feel like you're waiting on Christmas like, like I waited on my brother. You feel like maybe judgment's coming or you did something wrong or something's just off, but you're, you're in ruins. And that's what I love about Isaiah. Really, the whole book, it talks about that. Jesus is coming to a very, <laughs> Jesus is coming to a broken creation that's in, it's in ruin, and we're, we're waiting for our final deliverance. That's what's going on here. Everyone here is waiting. We all are. Um, and good news that Jesus promised us and that Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years before. Here, here's, the, here's the hard part about Christmas, okay? Good news is only good news if it meets you when you're swimming in bad news, right? And this is what the Bible says about that wilderness. It's only just a few sentences. If you read the whole chapter, and Mike did out loud, all the brokenness, all the gloom, all the darkness, eventually Jesus is going to finally undo and reverse all of that. But when his promise comes to us, when we're waiting in the hope, we still feel like we're in the ruins and we're in the brokenness, and the Bible has a lot to say about that. So here we go. What is the bad news? Well, here it is. There's something wrong with us. Do you know it? Do you feel it? Do you see it? Do you acknowledge it? There's something wrong around us. Isaiah talks about this. Creation is broken. We see it everywhere. Our bodies are broken. And listen, they're broken in a way that essential oil and sovereign silver aren't going to fix. Okay? They're broken uh, in a way that a radical new diet, joining CrossFit, juicing kale, do whatever life hack you can, it's not going to work. We're fighting against the dirt. We're fighting gravity. Jesus told Adam... From the dust you came, and from the, for, to the dust you shall return. You know, it's, it, we can fight against the dirt, but the dirt wins until the resurrection comes. Gravity sets in, age sets in. I don't want to beat a dead horse. We've talked about this. I've quoted Bob Dylan up here before. He, he sang a famous song called Broken. Check this out. Broken dishes, broken parts. Streets are filled with broken hearts. Broken bodies, broken bones. Broken voices on broken phones. Take a deep breath, feel like you're choking, everything is broken. You don't have to come to church to, to be reminded of that. You see it. You're swimming. You guys are living in brokenness. You're swimming in brokenness. It's the cultural air that we're breathing. It's just brokenness all around us. It's around us. I have a book that was gifted to me. I was telling Matt about this. I said, man, somebody gave me a really strange gift one year, and I feel bad. Uh, sometimes I just accept something just because I've Somebody bought it for me, and goodness, I guess I need to take this and enjoy it. It was just a strange book uh, from a sweet friend, and it was called Every Moment Holy, and it was a book of liturgy, <laughs> and I told you before, that's not my strongest suit as a pastor, so I just kind of thanked them, and I laid it aside, but recently, I dug that thing out, and man, it is a gold mine. It's a gold mine. It's a book of liturgy for all kinds of occasions in life. And literally, what the title says, it does, Every Moment Holy. If you're drinking coffee in the morning, here's a liturgy, here's a prayer, here's a reflection on that. Uh, if you see a beautiful person, here's a prayer on that. 
Uh, if you sneeze, here's a prayer on that. But I found something interesting at, at the end of that book. Um, it, 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 it says this, liturgy for the moment, a response upon hearing the sound of sirens. You guys ever hear a siren? You live in here in central Florida? This book was trying to help you say, look, even when you hear a siren, that is a moment that you can enter into the presence of God and worship. And so it gives you, that's what liturgy means. It means form, right? Uh, so here's what it says. A, resp- a liturgy for the moment upon hearing the sound of a siren. The wail of sirens is the anthem of our brokenness, reminding us that fear and tragedy, pain and crime, yet plague a creation groaning for its redemption. Amen. That's what it's saying like, hey, look, let a, a siren propel you into worship because it's a reminder. Hey, we're in the wilderness right now. Of, of course, we have, we're, we've been saved from God's wrath from the penalty of our sins, right? And we will be saved ultimately from the presence of sin altogether. But right now, we are in the middle, right? We're being sanctified. We're being saved from the power of sin and we're living in a broken, this broken middle. We're living in the middle right now. Where there's pain, where there's death, where there's corruption, where there's decay, we see brokenness around us. We also see it among us. We see scandals. We see corruption at every level of human organization. Politics, religion, entertainment, sports, Hollywood, Nashville, the playground, the home, and yes, even the church. We see it everywhere. I heard, I don't know if you heard the story, uh, a local school, a 13-year-old kid. I feel terrible, man. Every week it's another story. There was a 13-year-old kid who made a threat to shoot up a school. And he even posted pictures of himself with a handgun. And uh, sheriff, the sheriff's office take these things very serious. And I'm grateful, man, that they're saying, hey, look, this is not funny. This is not a joke. And so they went to this young person's house, and they said, can we search the house? And the parents said, no, you cannot. You cannot search this house. So they went, and they obtained a search warrant. And they came back, and they searched the house. And what do you think they found? Lots of guns, which not, is not illegal. Lots of ammo, some of it in that kid's bedroom in his, in his dresser drawer. So I don't know if, that's, if that was a threat he was completely willing to carry out for whatever reason. But man, thank God there was intervention and it's he's, he's being taken very serious. And I just thought as I read that, man, uh, you know, when that book was written, I don't think there was a liturgy for a threat to shoot up a school with a gun, but there ought to be, right? That, this is a moment to just be deeply and profoundly reminded, man, what a world of brokenness that we are living in. What was going on in that 13-year-old's head? What's going on in, in, in his home? I don't know. You don't want to judge. Uh, it could be a mental health issue, which is so often the case. But, man, there's just brokenness around us. There's brokenness among us. Death is everywhere. And then there's also something wrong within us, isn't there? That's the rub. That's the one that's the most scandalous and offensive to people. There's something wrong within us. We don't trust God the way we should. We're deeply insecure. We don't keep our promises. We hold grudges. We're discontent. We get cynical sometimes. We self-medicate. We're a mess. We're people so often fundamentally at odds with ourselves. And Isaiah's promise comes to us. It's not always going to be this way. That's what Christmas is a great reminder of, right? Jesus Christ was born into a dark and broken world filled with ruin it, 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 it was a promise made to us in the wilderness, in the desert. 
And it's a promise you can sink your teeth into. It's not always going to be this way. Isaiah promises that. This whole chapter, this is a, 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 an amazing chapter to meditate on because most of this chapter is in the future. These things shall come. And it's Isaiah, so he's looking to Jesus being born. So this is a prophecy that was partially fulfilled when Jesus came. But mingled with that Christmas prophecy is, is another prophecy of Jesus' second advent, his return. So, man, this is filled with promise and it's filled with hope. I love this. I love the, I love the Christmas song, uh, Holy Night. It's a reminder of this point. Oh, holy night. I'm not going to sing it today. It's not the right day. Oh, holy night. The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. And then you remember this next line? Long lay the world in sin and error, pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. That's a great summary of world history. Long lay the world. Oh, broke my promise. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining till he appeared and then the soul felt its worth. So, we're waiting on deliverance and so often we look to the wrong saviors. We think, oh man, it's going to get better it's going to be fixed, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be, things will improve. And, and I love what Elizabeth Elliot said, just a reminder about Christmas. She said, look, the secret is not you in another set of circumstances. The secret is Christ in you, right? The secret's Christ in you and you in Christ. So often that's our answer. And it's, listen, guys, it's so subtle. Idolatry can be so subtle. We think, you know what? Man, this, is, this life is so messed up. It's so dark. I feel like I'm so broken and there's ruins around me. But things will get better. My circumstances will change. And it's like, so that's what your hope is in, your circumstances changing. Uh, that's not really the cause of your problems to begin with. We often think that it is. But the answer is not your circumstance. You in another set of circumstances. It's, it's Christ in you helping through the circumstances that you're in, right? I know that's a hard, can be a hard truth, but it's true. So that's the first point, is that we, we, we're waiting on Christmas. We're often waiting in the ruins. And the second point is we're looking for deliverance. So let me get a little bit more deeper into this passage. He says, verse 2, This desert shall blossom abundantly. It shall rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Verse 3, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. This is the only part of this entire chapter that's in the present tense. So as you're waiting, as you're looking for deliverance, the only thing that currently you're being told to do is strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not, behold, send look. Look for deliverance. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Do you, hear, do you kind of see the gospel shock and surprise there? It says, uh, again, behold, your God will come with vengeance. Uh-oh. He's coming with vengeance. Uh, who's he going to bring vengeance on? Who, who's he coming to bring justice on with the recompense of God? He will come and save you. You expect to hear he's going to come and he's going to judge you because you're guilty. We deserve God's judgment, right? But the shock and the surprise, and this is over and over in the book of Isaiah, is he's going to come and he's going to rescue you. He's going to come and he's going to save you. And then check this out, verses six, 5 and 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf, deaf unstopped. This is the ministry of Jesus here. 
Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And you can, and you can stop there and you can think, man, this is amazing. I just want to see this fully realized. And, and you know it's interesting that John the Baptist, I just mentioned this in passing, I think last week. He, he, was, he was confused about the Messiah. Jesus had sent him, and he was fulfilling prophecy from Isaiah 40. I'm the voice in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make, make high, you know, raise the valleys and make low the mountains. Prepare a way. And he was saying, you know, Jesus is going to come, and he's going to baptize people with fire. He's coming. He's coming in judgment. And he's like, aren't you, Jesus? Aren't you? You're coming to judge. And Jesus is doing miracles. He's showing compassion. He's healing people. And John the Baptist is in prison, and he's like, what is going on here? I thought you were going to come and deliver me in this way. Why am I in prison and you're showing mercy to your enemies? And do you remember what Jesus did? He sent an envoy to John the Baptist and he quoted this verse right here. He said, hey, you go, because John said, are you the Messiah or not? Should I look for somebody else? Is somebody actually going to deliver me? And he sent an envoy to, to John and they quoted this. He says, behold, the eyes of the blind are open, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame are leaping like a deer, and the tongue of the mute singing for joy. And then he added, and I think the dead are being raised, and blessed is the one who's not scandalized or offended because of this. He's saying, John, be patient. Wait. Your, your expectations and my timetable aren't matching, so you're going to have to recalibrate to me. And isn't that, isn't that the point for today, I guess you could say? Everybody's waiting for something on Christmas, and we're, we're waiting for God to fully deliver us. And it seems like God's not delivering us in the way that we want Him to deliver us, and He's not delivering us at the time that we want Him to deliver us, right? Our timetable and God's deliverance so often don't match, but God says, you're going to have to trust me. I know what I'm doing. Full, final, complete deliverance is coming. You just look for it. You look for it. This is what He's saying here. And then, really, the verse... Honestly, the verse I really wanted to leave you with is, is verse 10. Check this out. And I think I have it here. Let me see. Yeah. You see that? And the ransomed of the Lord shall return. Because as is, this chapter, chapter 35, is between a chapter on judgment, 34, and a chapter on invasion, the Assyrian invasion, and exile, chapter 36. So right between judgment and invasion and exile is this chapter on deliverance and this one verse right here, just cram-packed, so full of joy. This is like a refrigerator magnet verse. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. Don't you like that? Anybody here want to sign up for that? Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. It's future tense, friends. I don't know about you, I do not have everlasting joy right now on my head. And the, and the picture here is your crown with it. Anybody want to wear a crown of everlasting joy? I do. Sign me up, please. Get me out of here. Deliver me from the ruins, from the desert place, from the wilderness. And God says, I will. Be patient. Stand by. There's more work to be done. There's more people to be delivered. And then this, they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I love that. There's... There's the reverse here. There's, there's, there's two actions. Number one, they shall attain gladness and joy. And in the Hebrew, it's actually stronger. It says, gladness and joy shall overtake them. <laughs> like you're going to be, you are going to be uh, invaded by gladness and by joy. Right now, we feel the opposite of that, don't we? If we're honest, 
Don't you feel like you're invaded by so often death and disaster and disease and everything else? But he says, gladness and joy are going to overtake you, and then sorrow and sighing are going to flee away from you. That is a promise for the future, for the second coming of Christ. That's what Jesus is going to secure for us. That's what he's going to accomplish for us. But I love what what verse 4 says. It says he's going to come and he's going to save us. Well, how in the world is that going to happen? Having to reconnect here. How in the world is that going to happen? Well, if you look back with me at chapter 34, I want to show you something and and we'll close out with this. This is really powerful. In chapter 34, which is the chapter on judgment, it says four things in verses 2, 6, second part of 6, and 8. God, through the prophet Isaiah, is talking about his judgment that's going to come. And he says, for the Lord has rage against all the nations. The Lord has a sword. It is sated with blood. For the Lord has a sacrifice and bazaar. And then, for the Lord has a day of vengeance. So, four things here that are objects. There's a verb and there's an object. The Lord has rage. The Lord has a sword. The Lord must have a sacrifice. And the Lord has a day of vengeance that all these things are going to happen. And 400, you know, well, no, 800 years before Christ would, would hang on a cross outside the city of Jerusalem, these things were prophesied. Isn't that amazing? This is all... So, in other words, how are these promises going to be accomplished? Who's going to secure them? Well, Isaiah has hinted about this all throughout his prophecies. Chapter 9, he says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is what? Given. Given. Handed over. Handed over. In exchange for our guilt, he'll be given in righteousness. He'll be the sacrifice. In chapter 53, he talks about this mysterious suffering servant who was to come. And all of these things from chapter 34 are going to take place on the Messiah. Jesus is going to absorb all of these things so that all these promises can become ours. He will come and you, and he will save you. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Now, friends, I don't know about you, but I need that promise today, don't you? Christmas is, it's again, it's such, it's such a dark and, and often troubling time for people. And they're feeling the stress, they're feeling the pressure of whatever it is they're waiting on. And, and God makes this promise to us. And he says, look, things are going to look dark and things are going to be dark and things will stay dark. And you won't get your final deliverance until the Messiah returns and fulfills all these prophecies. And then everlasting joy will overtake you. And Christmas is a good time to be reminded of that. And it's a good time to do in the present what we're told in verse 4 and 35. Or excuse me, what we're told in verses 4 and 5 in chapter 35. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. So I say to you in closing today, here's here's the Christmas message. If you have an anxious heart, I want to say to you today, be strong and fear not. Behold your God. He will come and he will save you. And if you're weak today, you know, just like we've extended the grace life welcome, if you have weak hands and you have feeble knees, I say to you, wait. 
be strong in the Lord. Those who wait on the Lord shall not be ashamed. They shall mount up with the wings of eagles. They shall walk and not grow weary. They shall run and not grow faint. That is the promise and the hope that we have of Christmas. And my prayer is that you have that today. God is saying, trust me enough to follow me and I will bring you home with singing. I will overwhelm you with a joy unbroken and unbreakable and your sorrow and your sighing will run for it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for these promises from the book of Isaiah. I pray, Lord, that maybe this was just for one or two people that were here today, God, and they're walking in darkness right now. They're, they're living in, in sadness. Maybe they had to say goodbye to a loved one. Maybe this is the first Christmas they're celebrating uh, without their mom or without their dad or without a son or daughter or a sibling. Maybe their loneliness is more pronounced right now when they see so many families gathering and parties and celebrating and plans and, and homes that are decorated with bright lights. I pray today, Lord, this message would, would sink itself deeply into their hearts. They would know, Lord, that you see them, you understand them, you are the wonderful counselor. You're the only counselor who truly understands us in a way we don't even under, understand ourselves. You have been there. You have been in our shoes, Lord. You, you have walked in darkness. You've walked in brokenness. You have felt desertion. You've felt pain. You've felt betrayal. Tears have, have, have streamed down your face before, Lord. And blood has rushed out of your side. You understand us truly, Lord. You have, have walked in, in this broken planet, Lord. And, and you suffer the wrath of God on our behalf. And I pray people will... Feel these promises today and live these promises and believe these promises and share these promises, Lord. I pray that they would have hope today, that you would just move them and touch them in a powerful way as we just sit and reflect on what we've heard today, Lord. And I ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.